All right, welcome back to the Pad Bros Podcast. It is Sunday, October 16, 2016, and I'm back here with Kevin M. Hello. And we are going to launch into part two of our non-IAP-focused podcast, and uh, we're going to talk about team building and monsters and uh, strategies and how you how you do that when you're not planning on spending money on this game um or at least a very little bit of money uh you've you've purchased the one-time bundle yeah i think i had like an itunes card and purchased it so i don't know if i've spent real money on it but okay i i don't will you do it again i will do it again because it's it's too good of a deal to not they they their advertising or whatever they finally got me in terms of they put a deal out that was good enough that it was worth doing okay Hey, here's an interesting idea or thought that I just had is um, part of your special bundle is PAL points. Yep. And it's a fairly large number of PAL points. It's a lot, actually. Yeah. And so with those PAL points, will you save them in your mail for usage in a potential collab PAL machine where so we get the new, pink sequoia yeah so or i think blue el Kali? it's probably it's this is definitely a good conversation because i think that both of those monsters are incredibly important especially if you're a new player starting out mm-hmm. or if you're a non-ap player to give you access to those type of monsters at very low cost and even if you don't get them you could get king arthur or you could get Panis, which is not as good, but yeah. King Arthur is important for farming teams or can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard they're pretty rare, from my understanding, because there's seven stars I think in the team. But they do seem very rare. I think that machine, at least in JP, also came out with every monster having plus three. Was that right, or is it more than that? I think it was plus three. I think it was plus three eggs, and so even if you don't get the ones you want, you're getting plus three. So I think saving. I would, I mean, personally, I'm saving every PAL point I get for that when it comes out in here. And I also want the Blue Cali and the and the Red Sakuya because they're both, they're, they're not skill inheritable, but they're, you know, having the 20% gravity plus a bind clear on a red team, that's pretty valuable. That was going to be my question. I didn't know whether that Blue El Cali was going to be uh, skill inheritable. I don't think so. I think that they've, they've said it's only non or it's only REM monsters. And so I don't believe that either of those are skill inheritable. Mm. I think that would be nice if they were. Um, because I think that they've actually made some... There was some monster recently that came out that was skill inheritable that wasn't through the REM. And I'm trying to remember what it was. I don't know, I don't know aside it. from... Uh, the only ones I can think of are the... I believe that the Fruit Dragons and the uh, Late... Call those the late bloomers, uh, the Fafnir and Divinjion, yep. Divinagon, whatever their names are. Uh, I think Ifrit. Those are, yep, but I think like the because I've skill inherited my Ifrit. I, I just kind of oh, okay. I have one max skilled, but those are in the REM. So. They are in the REM, but they're also they come out in gift dungeons. They yep. give them out to you. So, so I don't believe they're going to be skill inheritable, but they're still really good cards just to have access to, especially as a non IP player where. You might need a El Cali board change. Now, those aren't those don't tend to be as important right now in the meta, but that's not to say that they can't be important later on. Yeah. Um, a red Sakuya is maybe not necessarily the best leader, but is a very good red sub 
on a team that needs either a red bind clear or a red gravity um or and both. <laughs> or both and she can be very valuable to a team and so you know i would suggest any player period be saving pal points regardless of ip or non ip yeah for that. plus it's going to come with plus three on every monster hopefully and well i hope so i mean i that the gung-ho collab plus egg pal machine came out in jp and immediately afterwards i started saving every single pal point yep. mail i got and then uh, the Gung Ho collab came like five months later and no plus eggs involved. And I just was like, well, do I want an Arthur? Maybe I'll just pull and hope to get an Arthur. And I burned through most of my, my pal points. And I, I, I was just kind of gave up on the idea. But then the fact that they've released these two monsters and they're putting them in that machine. And then there's going to be a plus egg pal machine. I have a feeling that will come to NA. And I, I, I've started to save my pal point mails once again. I have as well. And, and I, like you, saved my pal points. And then I used some of them in order to get a King Arthur because I wanted a King Arthur in terms mm-hmm. of farming. I think he's a nice card to have. Um, I think that as a non-IAP player, that pal machine is worth thinking about. Because it's there are some monsters in there. Like If you don't happen to have a cow-cow, a even though it's not a Woken cow-cow, but you got a fire team, you're early on, it's worth having one. Even though it doesn't have the awakenings or the, the kind of the full amount of stats that the Calcutta has. Now, the only one that I think is really important is the DQX kid. You have access to a mirror team. Mm. And good point. if you look at the Noarium farming teams that are coming, I think it was like Lemon Dragon and Varishay and Elia or Leah and Moogle. Mm-hmm. But little DQXQ doesn't have a lot of awakenings. I think it's only got like a blue orb enhance and a yellow orb enhance but she's got the skill which makes both light and and um hearts which is mm-hmm. really important on the mirror team and if you can pair her with like a skill inherited apocalypse mirror you have access to a full board of two-thirds light one-third heart which is pretty much the optimal board yeah. so that card is definitely worth keeping i do see that as a very common inherit on uh on mirror leads either you know, the, the dark light heart board change that you get from both APOC and uh, Cecil. Yep. And that's from... what's on mine, for example. So You have APOC? Yep. Oh, cool. Although I've been considering switching my APOC for my DQXQ and then putting my APOC on my team. Just because I think that the... But I, I haven't decided. I will say that I really like having APOC on my team. I do. So I have two APOCs. Oh. One's inherited, one's not. I do DQXQs. One's, and they're, one's Awoken XQ or one... Awoken DQX and one's DQ. So, regardless, I think that the little DQXQ is a pretty reasonable Miru sub if you're looking for a sub on that team. So, if you've got that, you've got Moogle, you really just need two subs from the REM to really fill out that team. And it's probably pretty reasonable. If you can't get full skill bind resist, you can use the badge. So, there's. It's a very reasonable sub, although. I don't think it's perfect, obviously, but it, it's not terrible. And it's pretty easy to skill up. It's pretty good in terms of its active skill. So. Yeah, it's a very good point. Very good point. Um, Godfest was going on, started last night at 1 a.m. Yep. And uh, continued into this morning. Uh, we're in day one, which is Egyptian Series 1. Correct. Anubis, Bastet, Ra. Yep. Uh, and... Mechanical Star Mechanical 1? Star 1, uh, which contains Spica, which I really wanted for my 
Machine Athena uh, team. And? And I did not get it. I pulled a fair number of times. <laughs> I, I skipped the last Godfest and uh, last REM or something before that. Yep. I skipped a few things and I was like, ah, you know what? I really want Spica. Let's pull and see what I get. Um, I didn't get Spica, which isn't too surprising. But I did get two casters. Yeah. Castor. Were you looking for Castor? I had never had one before. Okay. And I would really, I Castor, uh, the one Evo, it has God Killer and is has a really high attack. Yep. Which is very cool. Um, and the other Evo has awesome art where his arm turns into a giant cannon. And uh, we've mentioned before on the podcast that it reminds me of the uh, first anime series that I actually watched the full run of. Yeah. So. So are you going to then Evo both and skill them both up? Because I think the skill up's pretty annoying to get. Uh, having skilled up Pollux, I will say yes. The <laughs> skill up is pretty annoying to get. Um, one, I only wish to achieve the art. The other one, I may actually want to skill up. That's fair. But I, I honestly don't know what I would... I have no team necessarily right now that I would want to use Caster on. Huh. Uh, I think... I might want to inherit a caster onto some team somewhere. It's got a haste, so that can be useful. Yeah. But it gets rid of hearts, which is the big downfall to those gods in the current metagame, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for the future, but right now it gets rid of hearts, which is, you know, you can't put them on a Grammarie team, for example. Exactly. Did you get anything else? Uh, I did. I pulled... Three six-star Godfest exclusives that were not duplicates. That's not bad. That was very cool. Yeah, which ones did you get? Paimon and Dantillion. Okay. The two new ones. Yep, the blue one and the green? No, wait. Mm. Light and red. Trying to think which ones these are. Um, Paimon is... They're both cross leaders. Um, Dantillion does... uh, three and a half times damage for each red cross um and then extra damage for matching multiple heart combos Mm. okay very interesting leader um i don't know how i'll end up using him but he does have like a seven turn active him and paimon both have seven turns making three of one color and three hearts but they're very similar to grimory yes similar to grimory it sounds okay so interesting uh i'm excited to do interesting things with them uh, i see paimon going on miru as a sub uh you're talking a seven turn active with haste that makes three hearts and three light orbs the haste is big on miru teams because i don't think miru has haste which means that unless you inherit a haste onto her you've got to wait a long time sometimes that team the skills and we talked about moogle the last yeah kind of part of this episode which is that you really want things coming up more frequently if you're not the best player in the world which mm-hmm. i think we both will admit i don't think we admitted, are not we are not the best players and so having those extra lower turn cooldowns can be really helpful so yeah uh and then sherry's roots the white one or the the blue? white one which i had not had before mm. um which i I will admit I am completely uninterested in. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Don't. Uh, it's a pretty good skill inherit, if I'm not mistaken. As I don't know, it, it's like uh, fixed damage to one enemy plus uh, full board. The full board change to the decolly board. Yep. Um, 
Uh, I mean, it it really comes up whether or not you want the active skill. Because if you're not going to use her as a leader or him, I guess it's a dragon. So I don't whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but I think if you're not going to use it as a leader, then it's not. Well, really I mean, important. it's not. I mean, you look at the 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 multipliers for the leader leader skill, and you're looking at 110 times attack and 2.25 times recovery for matching. I think it's matching all color orbs. So it's I think like, it's something like that. Eh. I mean, I think I've seen Arena One clears and Arena Two. Yeah, clears, I know. But... I know it's capable, and and people will pair it with Raw Dragon with a relatively high success rate. Uh, but I just kind of. I mean, partly so many things get dwarfed by the Heart Cross that it becomes hard to get excited about things that aren't Heart Cross right now. And yeah, it it. It's good in that we've got a stable metagame, but it's bad in that we've got a stable yeah. metagame. So. Now, I will say that Sherius Roots uh, was seems designed, or actually not Sherius Roots, but the Halloween Sonya Gran is, seems to be perfectly designed to pair with Sherius Roots. They mm-hmm. have identical awakenings. Yep. And if you add their leader skills together, you end up with one and a half times recovery, one and a half times HP, mm-hmm. and uh, the full... 110 and a quarter times attack. You end up with a team that's similar to dual Krishnas, right? Or no, I guess Krishnas is a little the, more... The alt-evo double Krishna is going to be... More HP and more recovery. Because you have 1.5 on recovery. each one, right? And lower attack. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's a very strong team. It's just, again, yeah. heart cross ruins kind of a lot of things. But I'm certainly not going to sell my roots right off the bat. It's uh, but I definitely you... was like, Ugh, maybe because I, I want to buy Sharit, and so I was like, well, do I want Roots? I'll just hang on to it for a while. Like for example, I had I pulled a dupe Kana, mm-hmm. and I just sat on her for a while. And I'm like, oh, two Kanas, I don't. Uh, maybe I'll sell her. Maybe I won't. And now I'm like, Ooh, well, Kana got those Altivos with the fact that they've now started putting out. Dual old evos for the Godfest exclusives. Mm-hmm. You're much more incentivized to keep two of them. Yeah. Also, I think you're anything without an old evo that's a Godfest exclusive. If you're selling that, you're probably making a mistake and just hoping that they don't make it really good. Because I think we saw pretty early clears from Kana of at least Arena Two, if not a co-op clears. Of, I don't think I saw any co-op clears of Arena Three. Arena 3 is still pretty rough, but it does seem that Kana, the dark Kana, yeah. can clear Arena 1 relatively easily. Yep. So, and, and you never know what they're going to do. And we can talk about this when we get kind of into the non-IP world, but you're even less incentivized to sell things as a non-IP player because you just never know what's going to happen with these. And and I don't think this is advice anybody wouldn't give you. Yeah. Don't sell things that, that don't have old evos that aren't kind of completed. And now... Yeah. People were used to say, don't sell Awoken things, or, or sell them now that you know that they haven't Awoken. So like a Minerva, right? They're like, oh, sell all your Minervas because, oh, we've gotten Awoken. Now they put a Reincarnate Evo. So now it's like you don't even know whether or not you want to sell those. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's always a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, I know uh, our friend JJ has been consistently lamenting the fact that he sold a duplicate Kaede. That's pretty brutal. And the thing is, is that he has still not well, he did in the end. We talked him into it, but he had sold his dupe Kaede, and the alt evo of Kaede came out, and he was deeply regretting it, but had still not used the MP from his purchase. 
So, like, he could have just had that Kaede still in his box, but instead all he had was 500k, or 50k MP. Oh, I think one stone would have saved him a lot of pain and suffering at that point, because he probably sold it for box space, or because he was going to buy something. Yeah. I think the general advice for most MP purchases is get all the evil materials ready, and have it ready to go when you purchase it. Because otherwise, you can get this chance where you... By the time you've prepared it and you've gotten ready for it, the metagame is shifted and then you don't want it anymore and then yeah. you feel like you've really wasted it. Yeah. So. But I think there are some MP purchases that are just like so ready to go right away. Like Blue Miru. Mm-hmm. It's like you just bought her, fed her five peas and some Tamadras and yep. you're ready to crush things. So. Well, and, th- and then this new XM is going to be the same way. You, you, I don't think that she's as good as Blue Mirror, but you're going to be able to... I don't. Can you skill her up in the dungeon? I don't know if they've said anything about that yet. I don't know anything about skill ups. Regardless, you could pie her and be perfectly happy. And if you've got a couple of Pandoras and an Akechi... Wait, did I skill up Blue Miro in... Yeah, you I did. did. Oh, wow. And so it's it's even better with yeah. stuff like that. But, um, but yeah. So nothing else in the Godfest? That was kind of... That was that was kind of the highlights for me. I pulled, I think, two more Raws, which is nice because uh, it's how many nice are to you, have a few Raws. How many are you up to now? three <laughs> I, I i have three as well and i i have every one of them used and so i will never i even in the godfest this morning i was like if i get another raw i don't think i would complain no because it's such a useful skill inherited or it's a useful farming tool that sure was well, you know it's it'll be very nice to skill inherit to you know have a couple of them on different teams would be yep. very nice it's like dead Yep. Push button dead. It's very convenient. So. Alright. And so alright, let's walk walk me through your Godfest experience from the non AAP standpoint. So I had like six or seven rolls, I think six. I was I usually go into these Godfests saying I'll pull till I get a gold if I'm not really interested in the Godfest. Right. Today I got I was like, Oh well, this is a good enough Godfest for me that I'll pull twice. And then I pulled six times because I didn't hit a silver the whole time. And so oh, I just okay. kept pulling until, and then eventually I got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't have enough. I want to keep enough stones. But right. I pulled a caster, mm-hmm. a Nephestus, the blue Shuris roots, which I don't think is even as good as the white one. Yeah. But it's not bad. Uh, I got an Orochi, which is my first one. Which oh, Orochi! I really is was so excited useful. about it. like yeah, that I one was so. that was the big pull of the day. I was like, Orochi is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Balden, which is a six oh, star. Okay, very interesting. Um, that's not that's one that I don't have. I don't know what I'm gonna do with him, but he'll work on him and he'll. And then he, I, who does he boost? He boosts dragons and machines and has damage for two turns. Okay, so I think that I've seen the him as a inherit on a Roanoke team yes because you're hitting drag dragon machine hits most of that team mm-hmm. um so it, it's i mean like as a non-ip player you save everything and someday it's going to be useful and you just never know right yeah and then my last pull was a dupe anubis so that that's when i said all right i've got a dupe and but game but over the reason i was willing to keep pulling it in maybe we maybe it's worth getting into this godfest topic now that we're talking yeah. about it now is that as a non-IP player, you want to target Godfests not for single monsters. Oh, for sure. I think that's true of IAP <laughs> players, too. Yeah, I think it is, but I think that people want specific monsters as IP, and it's hard, like, a catchy, right? You know, it's like, you've you've spent a lot of money trying to get it because you haven't gotten it. And I think as a 
in-app purchase player, that's something that you kind of accept, right? And you're like, okay, I'm not going to get, or I may not get this, but you could if you just kept spending money. There's a point. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I think, hit, I've hit the point. <laughs> but it's even more important, I think, as a non-IP player. And we'll get into the team building aspect of this as ever. But you actually want a diverse box. You don't want duplicates in mm-hmm. general. Because duplicates, what they do is they kind of force you into a single space. And you want to be diversified enough. And mm-hmm. so this this Godfest, for me, had enough monsters that were I wanted. So I don't think I have, like... I don't have, for example, Isis. I don't have Bastet. I don't have any of the Mechanical Star 1. And so I had enough open space to pull into. Mm. And I think it was also blue... Blue Gala? Yep. And I have a pretty strong blue box, so any more blue monsters was never a bad thing. Oh, I also pulled a blue monster. I pulled the uh, the Gala oh, exclusive. Those are hard to come Barbarossa. By. And what is his skill I think that's again? the first one of those that I've pulled... He does a, a delay plus make some blue orbs, I think. Okay. Is he going to be useful for you at all? or I don't know. I don't know yet. He's got triple TPA and two skill bind resist. All, all of those, I think, in general are very strong mm-hmm. um, and are worth keeping as a as a player, period. But... Oh, yeah. I, I was excited to pull him. I don't know where he's going to go or what he's going to do, but I was excited to have him. But but I think like the point of just like the way you talked about, you want to pull in Godfests that you don't have a lot in. Mm-hmm. Because duplicates end up being pretty they're pretty depressing, I think, in the first place. Cause you get you want something new. I think people want novelty. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to work with something new and you want to be able to build more teams. And I think that duplicates kind of make it more difficult. Now some of them are obviously good. Raw we talked about it's yeah. great having lots of raws. Some teams like Pandora, it's great having two of them because there's not two versions. Yeah. But once you've got like so I have I have three Indras right now and I'm like, what am I ever gonna do with three Indras? And it's it's kind of a waste of of my pulls to a certain degree that I've got those. But you can't control it obviously. Yeah. But you want to yeah. minimize your chances of that happening to as a player, I think in general. Okay. Um, so we're sort of already delving into the topic of roles and and we had that as a topic to talk about in our team building. Um, what do you think? So you mentioned that we've got this Godfest. Yep. Uh, this is the mid October Godfest. We've got Halloween REM and then probably in November, we're going to have a player's choice Godfest. Usually after Thanksgiving, right? So it's usually, and there people will say that, that it's not going to be this time or they never know, but it's like clockwork in the U S yeah. We get one in end of November, and we get one at the end of six months from then. So May, I think it is. Yeah. And it is like clockwork that we get it. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to predict it. You'll see the voting come out a week before. So like the week of Thanksgiving, the voting will come out. Yep. The next week it is. And, and if you are an IAP player, that is generally the best time to pull. And a lot of players will just save all their stones for like six months and just go crazy in that Godfest because that is the best place to get the best monsters. And yeah. with non-IP, you're not risking as many dupes because you generally don't have them all. I'm sure for you, a lot of times, that's a pretty useless Godfest because you've pulled a lot of them. And you probably are wanting to pull in like the newer Godfests, right? The ones like the Mechanical Star 1 and 2 or like the Samurais or something like that. Whereas if, if there's like a Raw and there a Bastet, you're like, I've got a couple of those and it's not valuable for me. Sort of. I mean, I, I I did pull, you know, I it took me, I think, uh, 
like 600 days or five 550 days of playing this game before i pulled my first raw sure uh but now i have three and then i have groom raw from the june bride collab so i have i have four raw actives at this point so i'm happy about that uh yeah the player's choice Godfest. if you do have them already uh especially because you look at those and a lot of times you'll have a few six star gfes Mm -hmm. you know but not actually not an insignificant number you might have seven or seven to nine out of 25 it's usually a pretty high percentage yeah yeah and then uh you know, you have those six star GFEs, which you're unlikely to pull even with the the player's choice. Yep. And then you have these other gods who if you already have the ones that are in the player's choice godfest that aren't six star GFEs, which is the likely situation, especially for someone who's been either playing for a while non IAP or yep. someone who is IAP and has pulled in some Godfests. You know, you're looking at a situation where, you know, you'll have this player's choice lineup and you'd be like, well, if you leave out the six star Godfest exclusives, I have 85, 90% yep. of these monsters. So I'm, you know, I'm looking at pulling some dupes or hoping that I, one of these six star GFEs pops up, which is still really rare. It, it, I mean, you do have pretty good odds in like the player's choice Godfest with the six stars because of the way that it works. I don't know if it's better than the four times or the five times. They've I don't know if they've ever we've ever figured that out as a community. Yeah. And there is a situation where a lot of the times the dupes in the player's choice Godfest are not bad to have duplicates of. So like if you think about the ones that are probably going to make it, you know, having duplicate Ross, having and duplicate Pandoras, for example, has never necessarily been a bad thing. There are some that you just don't want duplicates of because they're useless. And so Correct. you kind of <laughs> have to figure out with your own box, what percentage of these are new? What percentage of these do I need? And then also of those, if I get a duplicate, which ones do I actually want the duplicate of and can use it? And so that's, I think, the challenge with the Player's Choice Godfest because this is my this would be my fifth one that I've been being able to participate in. Yeah. And I'm almost getting to the point where I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't want to because I've pulled in so many of them. And a lot of them, while it's not the same amount year to year, a lot of them carry over. I think Raw's been in everyone so far that i participated in i mean like you just you look at how many builds are like oh inherit raw inherit raw inherit raw and it's like well yeah he's still dynamite yep and so i think players choice is a good thing coming up and i think it's good advice too for players who don't know who to vote for vote for a six dark office exclusive because really it, I, I don't know that the rates are better. Like, so when they do like a uh, player's choice Godfest exclusive, the, the player's choice are appear at like three X rates or yeah. maybe they do four X rates now, but like, you know, we can get four X GFEs, uh, you know, but it's a higher percentage of six stars. There's more of them. If you want six stars in general and you just want the MP, I don't know if that's the best way to get MP in general. It's, but. it's usually not the best, I think. Because yeah. we had that one Godfest that was all just GFEs. And it was like five, yeah. five GFEs. That was the best one, I think. For it. But regardless, I mean, like, the general advice is to say, if you don't know who to vote for and you don't care, vote for a six-star Godfest exclusive. So at least you're more likely to get something that, you know, can be, is rare. I think the general advice is that if you, if you well, I guess that's more advice for people that know who they're going to vote for. Is the wait. idea that you just wait and you see who's on the borderline and then yep. throw your throw your weight in at the last minute because I mean, the 
the margins are low. A lot of people do that, I think. But yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, avoid dupes. Yeah. Rolling collab. Oh, so collabs. How about rolling in collabs? Um, you're mentioning here in your notes that we want to roll for silvers only. So, so if they, well, it makes sense, right? Yep. So so let's talk about how do you roll? Like when do you decide to roll on a collab? Like what are your determinations for when you roll on a collab? Uh, personally, I am rolling in collabs when I think that there's silvers worth having. So it's similar. So it's, it's not different, right? Like you know, if there's a bunch of gold eggs that I'm like, oh man, I really wish I could pull that. Oh, like any one. It's of like them. oh, like any of these five would be awesome. Um, and that's kind of how the June Bride collab ended up looking for me. I was like, oh, Light of Shamley would be amazing. Uh, you know, I'd love to get this and this. What I really wanted was a monster that was only a five star gold egg. So um, I put in a few pulls. Um, I didn't go crazy on that one. But ended up pulling enough, and, and I got like a, Light Akachi was the one that I kind of really wanted, and I'm using his skill a ton, even if I don't use him a lot. Which is great, right? And I think the thing, I don't think it's any different for non-IP, I just think that you're not going to get that many pulls, right? So you mm-hmm. might, we talked about this, and that you probably get 20 pulls, or you probably get four or five pulls between any two Godfests. So if you're pulling in every Godfest, or if you're saving them, you can save for one of these collabs. But you have to want the silvers. You have to have a use for the silvers. Mm-hmm. And because I think even in the best ones, the silver rate is like 80%. Um, that is very true. Like the Batman collab that's going on probably starting Monday, you're probably going to get like a 90% silver rate. You have to want those silvers and they have to be useful. So I think that there are some of them that are just like the summer one is a really good example of one that was really good. The bride one was really good because there were silver eggs that provided significant value to teams. Mm-hmm. So you had like bride, um, you had bride Aizanami or Aizanagi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had like in the summer you had beach Goemon who was yep. very good. So I think in the Batman one, you might have this Tomazo. Like if you had a Grimmery team and you needed one more sub for it, you know, you're probably going to get that silver. There's only four eggs or something like that. Yeah. You're probably going to get that silver egg in like six or seven pulls at the most. Mm-hmm. So you're probably pretty good rolling two or three times to see if you get it because it might add to your team. But you can never hope for a gold. Like never see Light Akechi and say, oh, that's going to fix my mirror team. I need to roll for that because you're going to run out of stones as a non-IP player before you get it. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think that there are very selective ones. Now, generally the collabs tend to be bad to roll in but the seasonal ones are better as a rule of thumb it does seem that way it does seem that uh you know in the seasonal dungeons that have come out so we're talking like pat academy the pat island halloween christmas Christmas, they especially like the christmas healer girls that all have the echidna three turn delay yep those are awesome for lots of things um they have a skill boost and a three turn delay skill yep. boost and a three turn delay and you can have it in any color you want like that's amazing so yep. um i think that was the first seasonal where i went like oh i should pull until i get all of the silver. all of the silver girls yep. you know because that you know those will be useful to me now, the one thing about collabs that's different is that a lot of the collab silvers don't are, evolve well they're some some of them do and some of them don't so you have to look at the Godfest, but like Batman, they evolve and you yeah. can inherit them. Whereas I think the last one, 
you couldn't actually evolve the silvers to five five star four the seasonals the seasonals generally don't seasonals generally don't you're more likely to have it in the collabs but that is generally because they're older collabs mm-hmm. and they've like not thought about skill inheritance yeah going through it so like the, all the newer stuff they tend to think about that going into it well i don't know the um kenshin collab those uh those silvers yeah. were mostly yep able evolve. to evolve yeah. so i mean that's that's the one benefit of a collab over like these seasonal ones that generally those but are evolvable and inheritable but then the skills are very specific on those they're very unique to that collabs theme mm-hmm. and they're very oftentimes unique to a very sub specific subset of teams yeah and you know it, it depends on you know what team you're running whether or not that skill is actually useful i've seen some that are really useful on machine zeus teams sure. or some that are really useful on awoken lube teams uh and you know it, it's one of those things where you as a as a non-iap player i'm sure this would come up a lot where you're like oh who who's this skill that this person's using in this uh in this build and you look at it and it's like oh it's a silver egg from this collab from six months ago and you're like wow man i really wish i had just given a few shots at that pull and it happened to me uh with fist of the north star collab mm-hmm. this last one because i didn't realize that the guy that does the light version of grudge strike right yep. so less hp harder direct damage hit sure he does light and he's uh he was in the fist of the north star collab i thought it was from something else so when i saw someone using it and then i went to look it up and found it was in fist of the north star i was like ah well i should have pulled until i got that guy because you know i wanted this silver egg right and it shouldn't be hard to pull that then you know each pull gives me a chance at pulling uh yuria or something like that yeah and i mean there's some very good golds if you get them but even the golds tend to be in the collabs very specific and not necessarily useful and there's a lot of golds that are bad in the collabs and that's true too and in general with the regular rem if you roll a gold it may not be great but there's uses for it and yeah the the number of actual troll golds in the rem is fairly low and they've, you and I both remember when you could get golems and echidnas in the REM, the rate of gold. Get that gold ag draw. Yes. I mean, I think the rate of golds in the regular REM is actually somewhere like 70%, maybe. It seems that way nowadays. And that's, I mean, as a non-IP player, like, I, I almost just can't justify rolling in most collabs unless I really want a silver because why would I do that when I can get significantly more value in the regular REM? And that's the challenge, right? I've, Seems totally fair to me. I've gotten far enough into the REM where I've got enough monsters, where there's enough dupes out there and stuff where I don't mind rolling in the clubs if there's a silver I want, but that's pretty much about it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's worth pointing people away from that in okay. general. So what are the main considerations that a non-IAP player needs to have in mind when going through team building Hmm. so actually i want to mention one more thing on god fest okay sure it's worth mentioning just before we get away from it which is that if you're starting out as non-ip and you're going to stay in on ip you need to get a good team first you may want to consider just pulling when there's a god fest with a single gala so let's say that you start with a fairly good fire leader Mm -hmm. you may want to avoid all god fests for a little while until there's a fire god fest or fire gala combined with the god fest because 
you need to create a solid team that can build into right getting through some of the descents, et cetera, et cetera. And so not to say that it's 100% worth it, but something that's worth considering is if you've got a good fire leader, but not enough subs, is to wait until there's a Godfest with the fire gala. Because when you're starting as non-IAP, that's going to give you the best chance to get a solid team to go into the late game. Now, eventually you can kind of get, you don't want dupes, you don't want to get through that. Mm -hmm. But if you're just starting out, it's very, I think there's a really good strategy and a really good case to make to say, if you started in like a blue gala, and you can roll a couple here and there, but focus your rolls in Godfest with blue galas so that you can get that kind of like monocolored team, which are, tend to be easier to create. Mm-hmm. But forward. I think it, it may not be necessarily, you know, whatever gala you started in, but like one or two Godfests in, sure. you can take a look at what monsters you have and which leaders, you know, you're most yeah. going to be able to get the farthest with and be like, all right, I'm going to save my stones to pull in Godfest where there's a Green higher probability higher that I'm going to get good subs for these guys. So I just, I think it's worth pointing out. Okay. Good point. All right. So changing, changing lanes and back to team building. What are we thinking about? Um, we've already sort of touched on this in, in terms of strategy, but um, how do you identify who your leader is going to be? And how do you identify what leader to focus on? I think there's two big considerations as a non-IAP player that I think are probably still there as an IAP player, but less so. You've got two things to think about. You've got who is the best leader in my box and who is the best leader in my box that I have good subs for. Mm -hmm. And those don't always cross. Those aren't always the same thing. So you might have, for example, a Ronov, Mm -hmm. or you might have, you know, a good team. Let's, let's use Rono, for example. But you may not have the right subs to actually create a team that is good for Rono. Mm-hmm. But you might have, for example, really good subs for, let's say, a Krishna team. Sure. Which we know is going to get a really good Evo coming up from mm-hmm. Japan. So then the question becomes is, do I try to create a team on Rono, which doesn't have great subs? Or maybe you have two out of four subs that are good and you can come up with a couple passable subs. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a Krishna team that's got maybe three out of four subs or maybe four out of four with maybe one farmable or there's like a really good farmable card there that allows you to get to the same amount of content or more content. Like which one is going to actually be able to allow you to get to more content? And I don't think that's a decision that IAP players make as often. Mm -hmm. I think you can kind of pick and choose which leaders you want to play in general. And you probably have the majority of the subs for those teams, I I would guess. And this comes from somebody who doesn't have experience with that, so I'll let you be the kind of the expert on that. But yes and no. I mean, when you've gotten to the point in the game where I'm at, you know, I do have a lot of the subs, yes. but I don't have all of them. You have more options. I do have more options. I can usually come up with something that's very solid, even if not ideal. Yeah, I, and, yeah. I, and I would guess that most situations you can come up with three out of four subs for most teams. I think of a non-AP player, you're in general, you're going to have like a couple teams that have four out of four subs and like mm-hmm. a bunch of teams that have two out of four subs. Yeah. And those might be stronger leaders, but maybe it's worth investing in a team that has, you know, four out of four subs because that's going to be able to open up more content for you. Yeah. I mean, when we start talking about difficult content, the fact that you have skills coming up when you need them and things are uh, happening, do you want to stop? The fact that you have skills coming up when you need them or uh, that your you know, leader skill is 
uh, able to be activated by, you know, maybe you're enchaining actives, you're popping a skill every turn, uh, maybe you're hitting the full leader skill based on the, the active ability that you're using. All those things are important uh, in terms of, uh, you know, getting through a dungeon, whereas, you know, the the maximum ability of your leader by itself is not as important, right? So, yeah. you know, the, the general cohesi- cohesivity of your team and the way they work together, the way the active skills work together is more important than the fact that your leader can hit 144 times attack. Well, and it, I think it becomes even more important in things like Arena 1 where you need that consistency throughout the dungeon. Whereas I don't think that most players could get through with two out of four subs on Roanove as a non-AP player who don't play as often, so we're probably not as good of skill level, right? Unless you practice endless quarters all the time, which I think most people don't. I mean, some people some, do. There's some non-AP that do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But so I think that though that consistency through the longer dungeons, you almost want the team necessarily that you've got that consistency on four subs, right? As opposed to a team with two subs where you have these two other subs that don't even really help or they're not perfect and you have to kind of work with them or you have to use two actives to make the same board that you would make one active with on the other team. Yeah. So I think we have this, I think I put the kind of in my notes too, but you really go with your box. And that's the same discussion of pulling in the guide fest with the same gala, right? Which is that you really need to push you need to kind of read your box. Like, where is my box going? What do I have? And how do I pull or farm to supplement that? And where do I push myself in terms of commitment, right? In terms of, you know, you've only got so many plus eggs. You've only got so much time and experience. How do you push yourself into the teams that are most important? You know, I've had cards that I really wanted to play, but just didn't have the subs for. You know, I've considered buying Rod Dragon so many times, but thought well i just don't have a decali i don't have two decalis mm-hmm. i can't buy that card even though i want to play it i can't buy that card yeah. right you know so i think that you have to be really cognizant of where your box is going and that's a lot of times why people too will start like two accounts and they'll play for a little while and see where their both accounts go yeah. and if they decide they like one account more than the other they'll play with that account but i think that it's just a matter of in general i would push somebody towards a pretty comprehensive team and a team with consistency over a team that just has a lot of potential and you're trying to, you know, deal with less quality subs. Okay. And then, so when you're looking for that team that you want to devote your time to, uh, how does it change when you commit to one early versus sort of maybe waffling and holding back? Uh, you mentioned sort of reserving your plus eggs, yeah. leaving them on a, a placeholder until you figure out. Now, I've, I've definitely mentioned in the podcast before of like leaving your plus eggs on a useful farmable monster mm-hmm. so that when you decide where they actually finally go, you can drop them, uh, just feed that monster away and then make a new one as needed. So talking yeah. like, you know, maybe one of those mystic knights or something like that. Echidna, a yeah. Lilith can be very useful. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's a great a great strategy is leaving them on farmable subs that you're okay like getting rid of. I think that committing you have to commit at the right point. I think you have to have a cohesive team before you commit. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe a lot of things that I would say is you probably want a plus two ninety seven leader because it gets you pal points, it gets you some of that stuff. It allows you to probably access dungeons that you couldn't access in the past. But in terms of plusing all my subs, that's a big commitment. 
And I think that it's important to wait as a non-IP player to commit to something that you know is going to be powerful for a period of time. And you got to think about what content does this unlock for me? And so when you're starting out, you can get the most descents pretty easily. But then if you want to get to Arena 1, you better have a pretty solid Arena 1 team before you commit all your plus eggs into a team. Mm-hmm. Right? As a non-IAP player, that's a lot of stamina. That's a lot of resources into a team. And if you commit that into, let's say, for example, you commit into an Elkali team that has a very low success rate in terms of Arena 1 comparatively to something you know, like a Ronove or a Pandora team yeah. or something like that, or even a mirrored team, you've committed a lot of resources. Now, sometimes subs can be used on multiple teams and that, that works, but I don't think you want to commit too early. you got to find the right time, right? And you got to figure out what the right leader is to jump you up in content. Mm-hmm. Because the other problem is if you commit a bunch of plus eggs into a team, no team is going to be able to surpass the content of that team until you fully plus that team for the most part. And so with a non-IP player, you're stuck with that team for a little while. Yeah. Probably on the order of three to six months, right? Depending on how much you farm, how much you co-op, right? Fair enough. It it depends on where you are, right, in the game. But if you're committing early to a team that doesn't get you to where you need to be, you're not going to be able to get a team that can surpass that, though, until you've got a full another 297 team. So it's very challenging to kind of know when to commit and when not to. Yeah. And so... We've talked a little bit about this, but watching that JP to NA delay is so important, right? As soon as I saw that Mir was a great leader in JP, I was like, I can farm that leader. Here are the subs. I have two Apocalypse that I've never worked on, two DQXQs that I've never worked on. It's time to start working on those because that's the next wave. I'm willing to commit into those because that's going to unlock content for me that my Pandora team didn't have access to. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, Pandora is strong, but she's got limitations that Miru doesn't have. Exactly. And, uh, and, and and it's hard, but that gap, I mean, it helps for an IAP player, too. I'm yeah. not saying that it's not. But yeah, absolutely. as a non-IAP player, understanding where what to commit into is that's what I think is most important to that. Um, you know, knowing that the new Krishna old Evo is great and knowing that it can unlock a lot of content for a player might make it make sense for them to start investing in their Antares and their, you know, their Ares and those type of monsters to make sure that they can, you know, utilize that team full. Yeah, very much so. so. That's this is a very good point. Um so when you are looking at your team and saying you don't have necessarily the ideal subs, but this is a strong leader, uh you've got two, three subs mm-hmm. out of four. Um how do you evaluate whether or not you can bridge the gap with a farmable sub? I, I think that's a tough decision to make. I I usually view it as... And I mean, yeah. you could always just throw an echidna in there. You no can. one's ever felt bad about having a three-turn delay. I agree. I think ultimately what the decision needs to come down to is... Is that farmable monster going to be good enough? And I always, I kind of view it as, is it good? Once you get the late game, this is not the same as the early game. Mm-hmm. Once you get the late game, it's like, is that farmable sub as good as an REM sub? Mm-hmm. For the most part. You know, on a, like a 90, you know, 80, 20 level, right? So like, is it 80% of the way? Scarlet is a great example. Scarlet can replace a lot of red monsters on red teams. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you looked at something like, Let's say Hadar, 
for example, which is the mech dragon, the blue, the, that can't necessarily replace a catchy on a lot of dark teams. It gives you the enhance, gives you some stats, but it's not the same level as the Scarlet, for example. Fair enough. And so, depending on where you are in the game, it, it's important to figure out what is worth replacing. So, a vampire, really early in the game, if you're running a Pandora team, can be actually very valuable. Yep. But once you get to Arena 1, that vampire's not going to do it anymore. So you have to kind of assess, where am I and how good is this monster compared to the content that I'm at and the REM subs that I need? Okay. Well, let's say you uh, pull a Pandora early on. Sure. You start off with Pandora. Um, you pull a uh, Zuo, for example. And so now you're running Pandora Zuo. But those are your really only good dark subs, and then you sort of fill in, and you throw a Lilith on your team, you throw Hadar, you throw Vampire on there, and so now you can do, you know, Pandora, you know, Zuo Pandora Hadar, or Pandora Vampire Hadar, and uh, Lilith, and you've got a really nice big burst on this team, but you're looking at, you know, just a few farmable monsters. Mm-hmm. When you look at this team that I would say can beat a lot of relatively hard content. Probably through most descents, right? Yeah. Good content of descents. A lot of descents, uh, you know, might be able to clear a rogue or two. You're in there, uh, yeah. You know, that it's, you know, you're looking at Hadar's going to give you a ton of HP in yep. my, if my memory serves. I think it's like 4,500 or something like that. And then uh, you're going to get a bunch of recovery from Lilith. Yep. And, uh, you know, Zuo's fairly high HP. Pandora is solid. And like so you said, like something like that, you know, you're looking at three farmable subs and clearing a fair amount of content. At what point do you, you know, go away from that and like leave that behind to go, you know, try to try to work on a different team uh, or, you know, even like saying like, hey, like maybe I should maybe I should feed plus eggs to these monsters, you know, and then if I pull Akechi, I can feed Hadar to Akechi. Well, and your strategy right there, feeding it to the monster that you're using as a farmable monster and then is perfect right in that situation, right? Because then you don't lose those plus eggs that you fed to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of making that decision for jumping, I think it's pretty easy when you're working within the same team. So mm-hmm. if you just get an upgrade on your Pandora team, that that's really easy. I think the tough challenge is when, let's say you've got your 297 Pandora, your 297 Zuo, and a couple 297s for that team. Or maybe in just max skilled. Yeah, you start max skilled. And then you start getting enough, let's say, plus eggs for, let's say, a good Sumire team. Mm-hmm. You've got two Sumires. You've max skilled them. You've got like a Scald maybe. And maybe you've got another monster here and there, right? Yeah. You're getting. I, I think you've got to make the decision of, is that team going to unlock more content? And yeah. is there an... an, an I think the different. I think one of the big differences is that the the amount of content jump that you need to get as a non IP player has to be pretty big. Mm-hmm. I think you're okay as an IP player investing in less of a jump, mm-hmm. especially later on in the game, right? So if you're investing from Arena One to Arena Two, most players would do that because they want to do that anyway. Yeah. But I think it's really big for I non IP players to not invest in small jumps. If you invest in a small jump, it's going to slow you down, actually. I would actually say invest in larger jumps. Hmm. Um, because 
what's going to happen is you'll invest. Let's say that you can get past all the, the mech dragon dungeons and you can beat all the technical, most of the technicals, but you can't really get into the higher level descents. If you just get into the higher level descents, is that really worth it? Is that really going to jump you up into like the rogues and the arena ones where you could start farming like a Z8, right? For that team. And I, you've invested a bunch of plus eggs now on a team that can't necessarily even do rogues or can't necessarily. And so you got to be careful when you make your jumps to make jumps that are very, are, are big enough to continue to, you know, make you in make you motivated to keep playing the game i think is important i think that's a fair point uh you know it's it's easy for us to sort of talk about the idea that we're you know you know progression and stuff like this and and not and lose sight of the idea that like you know the whole point is to enjoy this game Mm -hmm. so you know you're you're looking to you know not only beat more things, get farther, be more efficient, rank up, all this stuff, but also, like, increase your enjoyment level of the game. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, and I won't ever claim to be, like, the best team builder or whatever, but I think that this is where the community does a really great job. Yeah. I think that as a non-AP player, the best thing you can do is, if you feel stuck, ask the community what they think you should do with your box. Because there are so many times where... One, somebody will just tell you something about your box that you've never thought about, right? I Non-AP players tend to invest in one area, and they don't think about it. So, like, you know, my brother-in-law, for example, was investing heavily into a certain set of monsters, and he had all these awesome green monsters. And I was like, you need to make a 180 swap and just accept the fact that you're going to have to spend some time farming up these monsters and then he opened up a ton of content for himself and he went from almost quitting the game to loving the game again. And so it's, oh. I think that the community, you know, I helped him with that, but I think that the community does that for tons of players. And I think the community is really good about that. And I think that if you are struggling as a player, it's not, there's always, there's typically a better option in your box, mm-hmm. especially if you're in the mid game. A lot of players have just undeveloped portions of their box that they just don't think about because they're, you know, they never thought about the red part of their box because mm-hmm. they've they never had good red monsters. They started playing in blue and they've only had blue monsters and they rolled a bunch of red monsters, but they didn't think about it. And yeah. so I think the community does a really good job there. And not to mention the fact that like a lot of the times as a, you know, player that's looking to move into sort of maybe the next tier of difficulty in the game you know, you're looking at your box from the perspective of the things that you've already accomplished. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are looking at your box from the perspective of someone who's like, hey, like, How do I've I- been through this stuff before and this is the kind of stuff that you need for this content, um, then you have a different perspective and you'll see things that the other person maybe couldn't see on their own. I think that's a really good point. And I think that Arena 1 is probably the jump that people have the most trouble with. And I think that just so many players have so much experience in arena one and a lot of people can look at your box. And if you just ask the question of what in my box can clear arena one, mm-hmm. most people will be able to give you two or three options. And then you can kind of pick from there as to what you're going to do. Even as a non IP player, I think you have a lot of that option. So. Yeah. I think that arena one is maybe a little bit more intimidating than it needs to be. I agree. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of times you'll look at Arena 1 and, and think, like, oh, my God, there's nowhere in this dungeon for me to stall. Like, I'm going to get wrecked, blah, blah, blah. And and that's just not the case. Like, 
Um, as you get more experience with it, you you know that there's various places that you can you can stall and eke out some uh, you know, a few turns here and there to get skills back. You know the uh, one of the ones that comes up for me all the time is uh, the Shieldra floor, mm-hmm. which is like floor twelve, I think. And you it's in the middle, yeah, yeah, you get like three of them, yep. and if you get one that's on your main color, yep, you just burst hard, wipe out the rest of them, and then you know you take minimal relatively minimal damage for you know for a long time while you can get skills back up on the other one you can stall out the 10 turns and you get 10 turns on all your monsters things are probably pretty ready to go yeah and i think i think this is something we talked about a little bit already but arena one two there's a lot of leaders that can take arena one down Mm -hmm. and that wasn't the case six months to a year ago I think, yeah, it wasn't the case both in, in terms of new leaders that have been introduced, but mm-hmm. also skill inheritance has made a big difference. I, I completely agree. And I think that that has really opened it up to non ninety players as well. And I mm-hmm. think that that – and co-op obviously – and we've talked a lot about that. But co-op obviously opens it up. But even in single player, your box as a non ninety player, if you've been playing for a year, probably has five or six leaders that can probably take take it down. And then you probably have a couple in there that you have solid enough teams for to take it down. And yeah, so, absolutely. I think the big requirement for Arena 1 is a plus 2917. And other than that, I think you're pretty much just about kind of trying to play with it a couple times and get through it. And I think there are places to stall and yeah. it is accessible. You just have to be ready to, to deal with Kali and, and uh, there's ways to do that nowadays. I agree. All right. Uh, so you mentioned that when you're thinking about your team building, you're often as a non IP player stuck behind the meta when something is not farmable. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're kind of in a NIP Renaissance as, uh, as we've mentioned before with Miru and mm-hmm. being a farmable monster and being SS tier and uh, like, you know, yeah, here's this six star Godfest exclusive that's sitting next to her in the SS tier, but, farmable monster right there yep um yeah how how has your experience been with that recently let's compare and contrast that to prior to any of the gentlemen coming out Mm -hmm. the metagame was essentially raw dragon which is uh you know you're looking at having double least one d collie or or a ragnarok dragon which was another mp purchase or ragnarok dragon which came along later um, and you could substitute with a fat ch- chocobo, which didn't have a skill bind resist, and thus you weren't hundred percent skill bind resistible, right? So that was a challenge on that exactly. team. If you did do that, mm-hmm. um, then you had to have an Isis, and you had to have an Indra. Essentially, mm-hmm. that was—I mean, th- that was the team. Yep. And there was content that other monsters, Yomi Dragon, could do a lot of the same content, not to the same level, mm-hmm. but. That was a very inaccessible metagame for a non-AP player. And the amount, the variety of leaders now... That Fair can... enough. That was two six-star GFEs or an MP monster and then two specific, specific low substitution ratio. Yep. Like, uh, you know, you could throw a Rochi in there after he got his Awoken... But Indra was essentially irreplaceable with double skill bind resist, right? Because exactly. the Raw Dragons didn't have it. And so you had to have one on Decali, another one on Decali, or else your success rate instantly went down to 80%, right? Because yep. you had a Chocobo on your team, for example. Yeah. And, and and again, this is to the extreme. I think that they've 
really done a good job of diversifying enough so that there's enough leaders to but you you got to think that there are certain parts certain times in the metagame where that's really difficult right uh-huh. and i think that that something they've done well recently um but you know that mirror solves a lot of that problem so all right let's talk about starting out as a non-iap player and starting that journey now obviously you started several years ago yep. two two years ago and you mentioned that you think starter dragons can get very far. And yep. you, you said that, um, you know, we're talking about the alt evos that came out for them, where yep. they um, they match up with the norns. Yep. I think we talked about that offline, so let me Oh, maybe we it. did, yeah. So, I think that one of the things that people don't realize is that the starter dragons can actually get you a lot farther than you think they can. And so most players start out and say, I have to have X role or I can't succeed. Or you see players who say, I'm stuck at King of the Gods. I cannot get past King of the Gods for the life of me. I can't start doing descents. So from doing the no REM challenge up through a certain point, through some descents, Mm -hmm. having done that with no REM monsters, I can tell you that your starter dragon will get you through the early level descents. You can get to Athena. You can get to Valkyrie. You can get to some of the early level descents very easily without ever committing into an REM monster. Mm -hmm. The starter dragons with the Ultivos pair very well with the Norns, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people use. Yeah. Um, I would suggest generally people start out with the green one because a lot of people use Redandi. Yeah. Um, so that's generally the one I would say. Uh, Tyrannus is probably the next one because there's a lot of herb players. There's not a lot of Skull players out there. So, but that can get you really far. And so it gives you a little more flexibility in your starter role. Um, we talked a little bit offline that I generally think that if you're an experienced player, you should try to roll for a six star Godfest exclusive. Because they're hard to get, and you're probably not going to roll a lot of them during your time. You'll probably roll a good leader at some point. Mm-hmm. With the diversity in the metagame now, with the fact that it's going to change significantly before the time you get up to end-level content, yeah. especially as a non-IAP player, your starter dragon can get you through a significant amount of the early game, can get you to an Athena, can get you to a Valkyrie, which can easily you know, then pair with a Kana that can get you into much later content. Because um, one of the things that most of the starter dungeons start with the idea that easy floor, easy floor, easy floor, easy floor, easy floor, semi-hard floor, big floor. So as long as you can deal with one semi-hard floor and a burst floor, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you compare like the active this ability. Your, this is your experience from your Ronya Lubu days. Sure, but it's also experience just doing no REM where you can use the starter dragon active, a Norn active, and you can finish off a lot of bosses that way. Hmm. Um, you've also got all the bubblies and the flamies and you have the bubblies and the flamies and then uh not to mention that you can you can farm heartbreakers to pair with yep. norns you can farm uh as well the mystic knights which i think all pair with the norns changing yep. uh the non non heart non attack color to the attack color and if you do something like tyrannus you can get an echidna if you you know so there's a lot of flexibility you know I think the Heartbreakers are pretty accessible in both green and blue because uh, you get the two heroes dungeon early on. Yep. So so you can get pretty far in the game without a single REM monster, which means that you've got a little bit of flexibility in your starter monster. So I would recommend that if it's an experienced player and he's okay grinding through that a little bit, go with the six-star Godfest exclusive because you're going to only get 
a low amount of them as a non-IP player, right? So you get a low amount of them as an IP player too, but you're even less likely to get one as a non-IP player. So yeah, yeah. I, the re-rolling process though is is a little bit long. It's painful. Um, get a friend to help. That's that's my best. Get an iPad. Get your second phone. Uh, it's doable. I've helped a couple people do it. It's it's okay. not fun. Um, but I do think there's a lot of leaders now. The the metagame's diverse, right? Yeah. So. How many leaders can take Arena 1? I would say there's probably 30 or 40 of them that can probably do it. Yeah. And I, I know my friend Carlos, is, uh, his thing lately has been just trying to beat Arena 1 with as many different leaders as possible. Sure. He's close to 20 at this point. I mean, that's that's a lot of Arena 1. And, and that's probably half the amount that probably can do it. And there's a lot yeah. of farmable ones that can do it now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's important. But... You know, I think there are some starters, and we've we've mentioned it a little bit. I think yeah. Liu Bei is obviously a starter that makes the game really accessible to early players because not only does it an okay starter, but it gets you into as soon as you get awoken Liu Bei, you just farm a bunch of Zeus Dioses and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Awoken Cow Cow makes Scarlet very accessible at some point, and yeah. you're good to go. Um, DQXQ is a pretty easy one. I think we've talked about. Um, I think, I mean, probably, uh, you know, especially if you're an experienced player re-rolling, then you, any rainbow leader in general, for the yeah. most part, is going to get you pretty far. Kieran's pretty accessible for a lot of players. Um, there's a lot of farmable monsters for these ones, too, that you think about. So, like, Varishe is very good for both DQXQ and, and you know, Kieran. You can think about other ones that just are out there, right? Echidna is very powerful for both of those monsters. Um, the Three Kingdoms in general is pretty good. Um, you've got... A lot of them, though. Now, almost every god now can get you through an early game. Yeah. I mean, most have all devos that have a leader and a sub. Most people, most of the leaders in this game can get to a 4x. Yeah. That gets you through 90% of the descents, too. Yeah. I just started an alt account, and uh, I pulled Leylon, mm-hmm. and I decided I would stick with Leylon. Sure. And, uh, man, she's she's great. Yeah. Like I've the four times attack, and you know what I've been doing? I've been running her with uh, my main account, Miru. Sure. And so you know, if I hit my three colors with a heart cross, um, hitting thirty plus times attack. You only have to hit two colors in a heart cross too. What the they changed the leader skill, right? Uh, the leader skills changed for awoken, not for yes. Okay. Involved. So, um, but you know. Cruising through some stuff, getting that four times attack. Like, I mean, Leland can take down some stuff by herself, but, like, you know, I like doing it in normal dungeons. It's making it super easy. I just, like, heart cross on the first floor and then try to match my three colors throughout. Or if I can't match three, I'll do a mass attack in red or light. I mean, I think the early game is just a breeze now for most players. And I don't think that most players should have a hard time. And there's there's so many monsters that can hit a 4x attack now that you should be in good shape starting out as a non-AP player to breeze through the early game. And I, you see a lot of players that get stuck, right? And I think the players just... I think the biggest thing is just not putting enough experience in the monsters and not actually max-leveling max, skill and mo- max monsters is mm-hmm. my biggest thing. But, but you know, your starter dragon can get you really far away, and it only costs 1.5 million to max-level them. Oh, yeah. they're So they're easy. really low, and there's lots of farmable subs. So don't feel like you have to start with your god. Yeah. Get a god that you're interested in, Start with the starter dragon. It's a good intro to the game, um, but I agree. Rainbow leaders are good examples. Yeah. 
I made a red blue Tyrannus, uh, but only to beat uh, a cost restricted dungeon. Sure. Yeah. Which don't exist anymore. But... They don't exist anymore. But I got them. I beat them all before before they took the cost restriction. You got all the stones. Yeah. Well, I think I, I probably spent stones stoning for stamina to try <laughs> and beat them. But I was more concerned about trying to beat them with the cost restriction still on. Um. So we've covered uh, rolling, uh, starting out, and then like some of those leaders that you want to pull to get started. Uh, and, and I think all of those leaders have been covered for the most part elsewhere and other parts of this podcast. Um, so let's talk about uh, non-REM. Sure. Uh, you did the no REM challenge for a little bit. Yeah, so before we went to three minutes stamina and it was just too much stamina to manage my main account and the alt account, but I actually think it's a really fun challenge. Okay. Um, you, mentioned, th- you mentioned two main things that you have to consider as uh, someone who's doing no REM. One is how your stones get used, which is something that everyone has to consider. Yep. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, as a non-REM, what are the main considerations uh, for I, stone usage? If, if you're a non-IEP player and you're going into the non-REM, the no REM challenge, it's actually kind of a it's 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 a little bit freeing because you get to stone for stamina because there's nothing else to use your stamina or your stones for once you've got enough box space you get to start stoning for stamina which is a which speeds the game up a lot and you can stone for plus eggs you can stone for whatever you want really and you get a lot more stones than you think you do and then you don't use them for rolling and you've got a lot of chance you can also stone through dungeons and so in co-op, for example, stoning through to get mirror is not that bad. And you spend five stones to get a mirror and you're off to the races at that point. And because that, that monster is worth it. Yep. And I mean, and you just figure out where your jumps are and you make it. I mean, we saw somebody clear arena three with mirror. So I, I think the ultimate goal has to be at this point in time. How do I get to mirror and what team need, do I need to get to to get to that? Um, your starter dragon probably can't get you there, but you can probably get, you know, get to Athena, get to something like Sphinx that can go with, you know, something like Awoken Ra. There's ways to get into that. To that, um, you can also just pair with the Miru. With hell, you can get a Fenrir in a Gift Dungeon and Fafnir, Fafnir, and go that way. And yeah. so there's lots of ways to do it. You can get a mini DQX queue, right? Pair with a regular DQX queue and go through the dungeon that way. I mean, there's lots of ways to get there if you're willing to spend a couple stones here and there. Um, um, and then uh, skill bind resist becomes a big issue, huh? Because yeah. a lot of those farmables are missing that one. So until you get the badge, which comes way later, right? You're stuck at that same kind of gate that I talked about earlier, which is that skill bind resist gate. Because not the far- the farm monsters just don't have skill bind resists. Very few, yeah. And so you're in a situation where you have to figure out a way to work around this. So co-op is a big, is really important, right? So having a co-op leader or co-op friend who is willing to you know pull full skill bind resist team allows you to get past those dungeons which you were stuck at before, really more than anything, yeah. or you had to stone through. Um, it's a fun challenge. It's worth doing if you're bored with the game. Because it puts a lot of restrictions on you in terms of what you can use and what you can't. You have to be really creative. You have to be really um, ability to kind of look at all the stuff that's out there and, you know, some farm for something that you never farmed for before. You know, I found that starting with the starter dragon, I used the dragon, which I had never used in my entire life. But that 2.5x times dragons when you have a bunch of dragons on the team is 
pretty powerful. So, yeah. and uh, a lot of farmable monsters are dragons. A lot it's of them are. And there's a lot of available dragons, right? Some of them are pretty crappy, but yeah, that's true. And a lot of the con- like the new biweeklies, the dragons are a lot better now. Oh yeah. So I've seen recently like Subaki systems with one Subaki and like all Subaki dragons, and people cleared some pretty significant content with that. So I'm sure you could do it with the Subaki dragon and a bunch of Subaki dragons. Yeah. So it's it's about you know spinning that farm. So that new REM system right there. Although I don't know how hard the Subaki dragon hits. I don't. I have to look, but I, yeah. you know it's it's you could probably find another sub that would work under the leader. But it, it's just a if you're looking for a challenge and you're looking for something different, it's a fun challenge to do. It's worth doing. It's the nth degree of non IP, right? Yeah, so. for sure. Uh, I have one more question about non I or the no REM challenge. Sure. What do you do? with the poll that they make you do in the tutorial so there's two ways to deal with it so you, you also it in get your box as a cheerleader you or... also get the 150 pull and the 250 pull oh so you can actually skip the first pull you can't so what you do is you start the tutorial you close the game out you delete it you reinstall and the tutorial doesn't the second time through the tutorial doesn't trigger so you have to go through the oh, levels okay. but you end up with just five stones at the end of it without the pull being forced huh. to pull so okay. you can do that it's kind of a workaround it doesn't really matter you could sell it um i when i was doing it i sold my 150 and 250 pulls i just sold them so i wasn't be tempted um i think some people will use them and just say that that's part of it um yeah. they're not rem pulls they're just the pull that you had to get um i think it kind of ruins the challenge for me personally but it, everyone's different right it depends on what you yeah. want to do um I actually, I actually used my 150 pull to get like a fruit dragon that I couldn't farm the Thursday mythical and I was able to evolve something that I wanted. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's like, you just do what you want with it. All right. Fair enough. Just curious. Well, speaking of selling monsters and MP, um, so as a non-IAP player in JP, I was able to purchase two MP dragons. Yep. So uh, MP dragons are not beyond the scope of the non-IAP player. However, we do need to look. I mean, I, you were so, showing me your MP is up at 480, 480K. Like so certainly you could purchase, make an MP purchase. And you say you've sold none of your gods? I, I pretty much have None of the gods. I've sold some of the silvers and stuff. Silvers here and there. I've had one of every silver that I've ever pulled as well for skill inheritance. So you sold sold dupe silvers, farmed MP and running rogues, whatnot, and you're up at four. You can purchase an MP monster. So uh, the MP monsters are part of the non IAP game, a part of the non IAP meta. What are the considerations that a non-IP player needs to take into account when they're buying these MP dragons? Now, I know in JP, um, I purchased first a Yomi dragon because at the time I had some good-ish dark subs. Mm -hmm. My dark box was the strongest. Um, I thought, yeah, what the heck? You know, I can buy one of these. It looks like Yomi dragon is probably the best bet. Um, you know, the subs are a little bit flexible. Um, I can't remember exactly who I had on that team, but it was a decent team, uh, and I was able to do pretty well with it. Um, and it was relatively strong at the time. I think that was before the, the four gentlemen series came out. Um, and then the second purchase I made with, you know, with that was, uh, a raw dragon. Cause I had 
got lucky and pulled a decali non-iap so i had uh a uh okay <laughs> okay raw dragon team i'm pretty sure i ran yomi dragon on my raw dragon team <laughs> which you know it's like uh that active is not very helpful except that I got an extra second of combo time, and I had 297 plus eggs on Yomi Dragon, and uh, might as well. And yeah, might as well. I I would say that it's probably not significantly different than an IAP player, but it's gotta it's gotta open up something unless you're farming MP, right? And so at a certain point, you can farm MP, and it becomes not as big of a deal to make the MP purchase. I think the first MP purchase is the one that comes up a lot for players, yeah. and I think that as a non IAP player, you generally can farm mp but if you if you're limited on time like i am i can't spend time to farm mp that's just not something i've got the time to do on a regular basis and i you know if i wanted to i probably could but you've got to have a team that allows it's the same idea right you've got to have a team that lets you make a jump Mm -hmm. and so if yomi dragon is going to let you make a jump it's totally worth it Mm -hmm. 100 and you have to have at least three out of four subs i think for a monster point purchase I I don't think it's worth it, especially as a non-IP player, where you're probably going to get two or three of these in the first you know year or two that you play at most. Mm-hmm. Most likely just one. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times that multiplier sometimes will help. Like Yomi Dragon's multiplier or Shiva Dragon's multiplier allows players to make a big jump in the game. And I mean, I, I purchased Shiva Dragon first uh, in NA, and it was... I, I used Shiva Dragon for a ton of stuff, uh, all kinds of content, challenge dungeon level 10s and all that kind of stuff. And, and I definitely like I ran Shiva Dragon right up to the limit of what Shiva Dragon could could comfortably do um, and pretty much never run it anymore. But I used it so much. I in no way regret that purchase. Um, so what do you think uh, You know, is the best? Is there a best mp dragon to buy is there a mp dragon that is the most flexible leader that can take a number of different subs that would be something that would make it better as consideration for a non-iap player so the best one i think for a non-iap player and i think the way that i think about it is the one with the most farmable subs and i actually think that yoyu is pretty good for farmable subs because there's a lot of blue monsters that make blue orbs and have orb enhances so you've got Amberjack, you've got Star Starling, you've got um, any of like the Heartbreakers. So you've got enough like okay subs that you can fill in, right? Whereas if you look at Yomi Dragon, there is very few farmable gods that are dark. And you look at Shiva Dragon, it's the same thing. Very few farmable red gods. Raw Dragon, are you really going to be able to come up? Can you really replace two decalies, you know, on the team? If you have one, yeah, you can do the Chocobo. Then you still need two mores, right? So my guess, and the reason that I actually haven't bought an MP Dragon is because I've never had four out of four subs or three out of four with a farmable sub that I thought would make a difference. Mm -hmm. The only one I actually, well, I considered Neptune Dragon early on, but that kind of faded pretty quick. And then I considered Yo-Yu, but ultimately at that time, Mir was coming out in two months and it was like, why would I spend 300 MP on something that I have a perfect team for, but... I can unlock more content later on with this other monster. And so yeah. it's hard for me to recommend something other than I do think that so, like Yo-Yu is more accessible than some of the other ones. Um, 
I think that like Zhang Mei is pretty much inaccessible unless you're willing to buy, unless you happen to have two Uriels, right? A Gadius and are or willing to buy another one, right? So I think it's hard to say that those are good purchases, right? Um, yeah, I, I can't actually see many of them that are flexible enough purchases. Um, Yo-Yu, I think, probably is the most flexible option. Uh, and let's see, like Plum, Xinhua, Xiangmei. Some of the, the collab uh, ones and some of the seasonal ones are a little better. Yeah, I mean, I think Blue Miru would mm-hmm. have been a would have been a good choice for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't, I don't know what else would be. I mean, some of the Sonyas are like just very usable. Yeah, they're they're good as subs later on, or good as skill inheritance. I don't know if I would recommend buying them. I don't think they give you that yeah. jump in content that's important. But like Blue Miru, I think that if you have the cards for this XM and you don't have the cards for Miru, you and you can buy it as an IP player. I think it's not a bad purchase if you don't have the subs for XM, right? Because that that's going to give you that jump. And no, I'm not going to recommend that for somebody who has Miro subs, right? Yeah. Who has a Sumire or Sumire or whatever you want to call it and has subs for it, right? Because yeah. that's going to unlock about the same amount of content. Yeah. Um, skill delay resists might be the best purchase you can make as a non-IB player. That's possibly true. Skill delay resists can, can make things way way easier and way faster too for certain content as well and we've talked a little bit about preachers and then i farm them i i tend to prioritize farming them but i've got a total of six skill delay resists in my entire time farming them and i prioritize that yeah so purchasing those isn't a bad thing um some people say that like the charites or the puppeteers aren't bad i'm not sure those that are I love so those. specific yeah, I, you, I don't know if i would recommend them. you have to have a team for it that you're going to use and you have to be willing to get you know, basically drag yourself through arena one or arena two or three and to make it worth it. I, yeah. I just, it's hard for me to recommend any of the NP purchases. What do you think about Ragnarok dragon? Now Ragnarok dragon, uh, is not going to be your leader. Mm-hmm. Although you can, you can run the fixed, fixed score attack dungeon with Ragnarok dragon <laughs> as your leader. It's like, yeah, we gave you this dungeon where you have to use Ragnarok dragon as your leader. It's the only time you'll ever do it. Um, uh, but Ragnarok Dragon uh, is interesting. It's a very, very good sub for uh, certain teams, uh, specifically Machine Arena, uh, Machine Athena, for doing Arena. Yep. Um, so Machine Athena, Ronov, uh, and Raw Dragon. Yep. If Ragnarok Dragon works two, for right? all of those. Uh, Sherry's Roots, it would work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know. Ragnarok Dragon uh, might be a really solid MP purchase if you're filling in gaps. I, I agree. I think that if you are going to use one as a sub, like let's say that you have a pretty good team and you're missing a sub, for example. Like Ragnarok Dragon is a great sub. And I think very few of the MP purchases can be used as subs. Um, he's one of the few ones that is used as a sub, and that's why I think he's a really valuable purchase, for example. People have said that Halloween Callie is not a terrible purchase, but she's been outclassed pretty. But a lot of people purchased her as a sub, right, and not yeah. as a not as a leader, but as a sub. Um, you know, Blue Miru is not going to be a sub, for example, right? No. But like, you're not going to purchase um, Zhang Mei as a sub. She's just not a good sub, and so it. Most of the MP dragons, unless you have the right subs for it, as a non IP player, it's kind of hard to want to commit to one of them because it's just. There's no, I'm not going to use it, right? Yeah, I can't. I can't argue with that. 
Um, and I was going to say that, uh, uh, no, I've lost it. <laughs> it's been a, it's a long podcast. It's, it's been a long podcast is the end of part two. Uh, I think that we can move on from this. Uh, that is our coverage of the non IP lifestyle. I think we, uh, I think we did about like three hours of it. So I think we probably covered it, call yeah. that pretty good for now. Um, if anyone has any, uh, things they'd like to add to the non-IP lifestyle that we, uh, didn't touch on enough or skipped over, feel free to email this podcast, uh, at podcastbros at gmail.com. That's P-A-D-C-A-S-T-B-R-O-S at gmail.com. And, uh, the last thing that Kevin and I are going to do before we sign off is a quick, cute corner. Now, Kevin, I am going to go first. Sure. I'll, so I'll that bring mine up. As I don't have any backup, so this is to get the, through there quick in case you sure. uh, try to snipe me. Um, but uh, I mine is 1754. I'm pulling that up. This is Green Essence Sorceress Armadale. Now, she's been out for a while. Yeah. Um, she is the green of the grimoires that drops in Grimoires Descended. Uh, and she had a beach version that was pretty cool as well, um, who gets honorable mention. But I just I just really like this art. Um, and I've, I've been using her as a part of my uh, funky little uh, Dark Agni Awoken Lube uh, farming team for Surtur. Um, and I've got a, uh, my armadillo on there, uh, kicking some ass, taking some names, but this is a strange art. She's got, I mean, she's wearing a dress that's made to look like a book cause she kind of is, <laughs> she kind of is a, uh, a monster, a sorceress that is escaping from a book. Um, she's got, uh, a sort of interesting version she's got a, a little tree monster in one corner yep she's got the uh the little flame guy the, the it looks like the will of the wisp art yep uh down in the other corner and uh for some reason there's a bird in her cleavage well there is i did not she also appears to have a what is not a chastity belt but is a chastity lock on yeah. her dress, apparently, well, as a I th- belt. I think that the uh, the idea is that she is a grimoire. She was, uh, you know, a spirit that was locked inside this book. So but... they actually, so the blue one has one on her stomach as part of her dress. She's got a lock as well. Yeah. So I think they all have. I they think they all were all that. meant to be sort of uh, spirits that mm. were locked inside this book and have uh, come out through evolution. Um, and, uh, so that's where that lock comes from. Probably. I really like the ruins that, that they all have, um, yeah, kind of it, like the, I don't know, the floating ruins and then the, she's got writing across the yeah, front, she's, which is pretty she's cool. She's got her wand and she's whipped it across, uh, in front of her and, uh, has left a trail of runes and, and writing in the air glowing in green. So yeah, I, uh, I recently noticed the bird in the cleavage again <laughs> and was like, you know what? This is too cool. And you know she what? She, like not only blue that, little blob she has her. a little like blue slimy or I have no idea what that is. A little blue water familiar on her shoulder. Yeah. She's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a good, that's actually, she's the best of the three of those art. So yeah, I think so. All, All right. right. What, so what mine is two zero six seven. 
And this is the Extreme King Metal Tamadra, who you've beaten many times probably before now. But I think I mentioned earlier that I love the Zoom Zooms, which are the Disney characters that are oh, in the okay. little tube. They look like little fat tubes. <laughs> I, I really enjoy most of the really fat characters, but I, I really enjoy this one that he's he's basically eating everything he can get his hands on. And so he's got like this star that he's, you know, they're all around him and he's just eating them and you can see he's drooling. It looks like he's just gorging himself on himself on, on different little, I and mean, he's actually got a, it looks like a bla, a baddie in his yeah, hand. Yeah, he's got a baddie in his left hand. The baddie's terrified that he's going to get eaten. Exactly. And there's a, you know, there's a little metal dragon in the pile of stars behind who's just terrified. sitting there in terror. Like, what is happening? Is he going to eat that baddie? I, I really like well, most of the Tamadra dragons, and this one's just—I particularly like this one just because he's—he's so happy. He's just—he's very excited and eating. So, all right, perfect choice. I've—I've I've looked at that one and thought about how cool that art is, <laughs> how weird it is at the same time. It's—it's it's not cool enough if it's not a little weird too. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's the end of our podcast. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, and uh, until next time, may the Skyfall gods be ever in your favor.